Crave, how we doing? Good. It's great to see y'all. Uh, have you ever encountered somebody who's in love? Show of hands. Okay. Could be with something or with someone. Uh, when someone is really in love, it feels like that's all they want to talk about. Right? Like maybe you love Clemson. How many people in this room love Clemson? Let's go ahead and get it out. This is your chance. Yeah, that was mostly for Miss Cat back there. Y'all know Miss Cat's the biggest Clemson fan this side of Clemson. Um, and, you know, Miss Cat talks about Clemson, but I don't need her to talk about it because normally she's wearing, like, orange pants, orange shirt. She's got an orange Tigers belt. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about. And sometimes Gamecock fans are that way, but, but less so for obvious reasons. And I say that with love. I'm a Gamecock fan myself. Uh, maybe you know somebody who loves traveling. Anybody here love traveling? If I were to go look at your Instagram, it's all these beautiful scenic vistas, these wonderful locales, and maybe like your fancy food from your trip. Like you're super into traveling. You always talk about it like, oh, yeah, I went here, I went here, I went here, I went here, and that's great. But then there's people like me from towns with two stoplights and more cows than people, and we get kind of jealous of you, so there's, there's that. Um, or maybe you're super into politics. Anybody in here super into politics? That's your thing? Yeah, we just came out of an election cycle, so probably you know somebody in your family, uh, like a crazy aunt or uncle who, like, that's all they talk about is politics, and you're like, I get it, you're into politics, can we please move on, right? Like, when you're in love with something, you're passionate about it. Now, the worst might be when one of your friends meets the love of their life, right? And by love of their life, I mean you have belly button lint older than their relationship, but they think... This is the one. It's like, dude, you, you're not going to be together in sixth period. What are you talking about? It's not love of my life. But they talk about him incessantly, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. And you get a little bit older, and, and maybe you even already have some of this happen in high school, but they disappear into that relationship. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, hey, let's hang out. And they're like, they don't even say anything. They just ghost you because they're all about that boy. They're all about that girl. That happens even in adulthood. Somebody gets married and you're like, so long, we had a good friendship, thanks. Um, don't, don't be that way, make time for your friends. But, but that happens, or, or maybe kids, and I'm living this right now, like if someone has kids and they, they're all about them, it's all they talk about, everything relates back to their kids, their social media is flooded with pictures of their kids. There's a reason for that. We talk about and we're all about the things we love. Like, and I maybe didn't mention your thing, it could be exercise, or it could be, I don't know, hair styling. I don't know, whatever your thing is, you could be super all about it and love it, and that's all you talk about. But with that kind of frame of reference in mind, let me ask you this. Do we love Jesus? Now, I, I know, the, I know the, the easy answer at church is, yeah, Jesus, we love him. Do you talk about him? Like, do you get fired up about the things Jesus is doing in your life the same way you do about how your team is? You get as excited to, to meet Jesus in his word the way that you do about meeting your boyfriend or your girlfriend for a date. Do we truly love Jesus? I'm afraid that we like the idea of Jesus. And we may even say, yeah, Jesus as Savior, because I don't want to go to hell, but Jesus as Lord, where he gets to be in charge? I don't love that. Do we truly love Jesus? When is the last time you had a faith-based conversation where on purpose you brought things around to your faith? Not here in this room, not in your small group, but Monday through Saturday. When's the last time 
that you sought to permeate your interactions with your faith. And I don't say that to shame you because there's a chance you're sitting there like, well, never that I can remember. Listen, no shame, but I do want to bring some awareness to the room, which is if we're going to say we love Jesus, the same way we love all those other things, hopefully more so, we've got to talk about him. And that's why we're in this series, Testify, right? We want to talk about Jesus. So let's look back at our theme verse. Anybody memorize it? That'd be cool if you did. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen for you. First Peter 3.15, it's our theme verse, says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We talked last week about pushing in a little deeper beyond, I believe in Jesus. That's great. But what do you believe about him? Why do you believe it? Like, what reasons do you have for believing what you say you believe? Can you articulate it? Can you put it in words? That's something I hope that we can work on in this series. But this is important when you read the Bible. It's always helpful to read the surrounding verses. You never want to just isolate one verse because you can strip it of its real meaning. And the next verse in 1 Peter really helps us as we think about going and testifying, going and sharing our faith. 1 Peter 3.16 says, Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. We're not out here trying to dunk on people with Jesus. That's not what we're doing. We're not waving our Bibles around and trying to smack them in the face with harshness. Even if what we're saying is true, if we come off like a jerk, that's not helpful. We want to be gentle and respectful. And I'm saying this to you, brother or sister in Christ, if you're trying to have faith-based conversations, don't be mean about it. Don't try to like, heap shame on people because they don't believe the same way as you or maybe they're just not as far along in their faith as you. We've got to be very careful how we go about having these conversations. Really, what I think we see a lot of times, especially here in the South, is a desire to kind of argue about things. And we can argue about any number of different things. If you, if you know me, like, I'll argue with you till I'm blue in the face about virtually anything, just because I kind of like to argue. But we do that with people about faith, and I, I just want to say to you, you're not going to argue somebody into the kingdom. Like, there's probably not going to come a day where they're like, you know what, you've beaten me down, you've made so many strong, compelling arguments that finally you've argued me in. No. Do you know how somebody comes to faith? The Holy Spirit has to be the one who stirs within them. Hebrews 12 talks about Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who starts it. Now, we, we have to be faithful to talk about him, to put the gospel out there, but he's the one who has to stir. He's the one who has to move. And this happens best in relationship. Now, we've got a picture. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Maybe you've seen something like this somewhere along the way. Somebody, they've got the sign, Jesus is coming soon. Maybe you've seen a little bit more uh, ominous signs. The end is nigh, right? You see that in a lot of like, apocalypse type movies or zombie movies and this guy he's got his bible up and he's got the cross and his mouth is open i mean maybe he's just yawning but it kind of looks like he's screaming at somebody to me you ever see anybody like this show of hands downtown maybe during like a fall for greenville or the greek festival they're standing there they've got a microphone and they're shouting at people and i'm not saying that good things can't come from this i'm just saying i don't think this is the best way I think your best bet 
is to have faith-based conversations with people you know, people you've built a relationship with. Somebody on the street corner can be perceived as just talking at me, right? If I feel like you're talking at me, I don't want anything to do with that. But if I feel like you love me, you know me, we've been through some ups and downs together, maybe we've uh, played ball together, maybe we've been in school together since third grade, I'm going to be much more inclined to listen to you than I am somebody who's shouting at me from a street corner with a sign. And I'll push it even a step further. I'm just a guy. So if you want me to come in and talk to some of your friends, I'm happy to do that. I would love to do that. The best person to share about Jesus with your friends is you. Because I'm just some random guy. But again, if you've been through it with them, that can make all the difference. We've got to have that relational connection. Now, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, who was probably around your age, believe it or not, and was pastoring a church. And Paul says this to him in 2 Timothy 4.2. Now, the context is, obviously, Timothy is working as a pastor, so maybe you go, eh, it doesn't apply, but I think it does. It says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. Now, I'm not saying you have to get up here and preach. I'm not saying you have to get up here and, and try to rebuke. I am saying you should be ready whether the time seems favorable or not. And I just, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but if you look around in our world right now, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of hurting, there's a lot of evil, and you don't have to look very hard to find it. And you may feel like nobody wants to hear about my faith, the time's not right. You'll always find a reason to not talk about Jesus. I'm, I'm just telling you that's how it goes. You'll always be like, eh, just a, it didn't come up organically. Or, ah, I don't know, just today it's, it doesn't feel right. Mercury's in retrograde or my horse. Go, there's always going to be a reason to not talk about Jesus. And I'm just, I'm asking you to consider what Paul says here. Be ready, whether it seems like the time is exactly perfect or not. Now, just to recap last week briefly, who should testify? Every believer who's been reborn in Christ. Like, you have that responsibility. It's not just my job or a missionary's job. And what should you share? I don't know the Bible. That's okay. You should know what Jesus has done for you, though. We studied the man who was born blind. He said, I don't know everything about Jesus, but what I know is I was blind and now I can see. How has Jesus transformed your life? Like, think about that. Can you put into words, how has Jesus changed you? You're going to have that opportunity next week in small group. We're going to do some testifying from the stage. We'll have some adults, some staff, some volunteers who are going to get up and share how Jesus has transformed their lives. But then we're going to go to small group, and we're going to spend some time. And listen, there's no pressure. Please don't feel like, oh, I have to skip now. No, 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 no. It's not mandatory, but I'm asking you, brother or sister in Christ, would you consider trying next week? Like, what a perfect place to practice. They're going to laugh at me. No, this can be scary to try to, Put your faith into words, but this is a great place to do that. So next week, I hope that you'll join us. I hope this week you'll pray about it, think about it, journal about it, meditate on it, whatever you do, and come ready to do that. So we've talked on who, we've talked on what. Um, let's talk for a second about where. Like, okay, where should I do missions? Like, where should I be testifying? We'll put Acts 1-8 up on the screen. This is like the ultimate mission trip verse. Acts 1.8, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. These are the last recorded words before his ascension back into heaven. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
it's helpful to understand that at that moment they were in Jerusalem. Okay, so Jesus says you're going to start here where you are. Judea and Samaria would be the equivalent of like the counties, right? Like, so in the area kind of right around this. And then I probably don't have to explain to the ends of the earth. So for us, what that means is we've got to start here where we are now. Now, we love ends of the earth. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip overseas, like, man, it can be a lot of fun. And you're with your friends, and usually there's something kind of cool at the end, like you go to the beach for a day or you go sightseeing. And I think that's wonderful. I've been on a lot of those trips. What I'm afraid is, though, we, we limit our willingness to share about Christ to the ends of the earth because nobody knows me there and I never have to see him again. I think it's more difficult for us to step up and talk about Jesus here with the people who have known us our whole lives. They know the buttons to push. They know all of our faults and failures. So how could I possibly talk to somebody about Jesus when they know all the mistakes I've made? Your mistakes are part of your story. Hey, I'm not the person I was. I'm not perfect, but Jesus is continuing to work on changing me. That's a process called sanctification. If you want to drop a $10 word on mom and dad tonight, what'd y'all talk about? Sanctification. What does that mean? Jesus continuing to transform me all throughout my life. So for us, our Jerusalem would be Simpsonville, Malden, Fountain Inn, Taylor's, Greer, like wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria. It's, hey, it's this area these counties maybe it's our state maybe it's even our country and then ends of the earth yeah, i mean it's great to go overseas I, i'm affirming that but i'm telling you we got to start here we've got to be on the lookout for opportunities here tonight i want to look for our primary passage at acts chapter 8 acts chapter 8 we're going to talk about philip and the ethiopian eunuch so if you've got your bibles you can open them uh, if you're a scroller like me you can do that acts chapter 8 Uh, verses 26 through 40. We won't read every verse, but we're going to read a good bit of it. Starting in verse 26, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Stop right there. Philip has heard very clearly. Now, Philip, who followed Jesus, Philip, who had a personal relationship with Jesus, is told by an angel of the Lord, I want you to go and walk down this road. Now, as an aside, I just want you to understand We want God to give us every step. Why am I going in this road? What do you have for me? He doesn't tell him. He just says, go walk on this road. So if you're sitting here waiting for God to reveal the next 15 steps to you in your life, maybe just take that first one that he has clearly shown you and see how he shows up. Because I think he will. So verse 27. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. There's a lot to unpack here. Does anybody know where Ethiopia is? Who said that? Peter Gaspich. Y'all give it up for Peter Gaspich with geography. (laughs) Ethiopia is in Africa. And they're in Israel. So, like, talk to me about this Ethiopian eunuch. Like, what's going on here? Is it possible that he was Jewish and had been taken into Ethiopia to serve? Yes, it's possible. Like, this is debated. We don't know. Um, Maybe. It's also possible he was from Ethiopia. So he was of African descent. So there would have been 
some racial divide between this Jew and this Ethiopian man. So that's possible. But what we do know for sure is he was a eunuch. And this gets a little bit touchy, but here's the deal. At some point, somewhere along the way, this man had been castrated. And you're like, I don't know what that means, and I don't know that I want to know. Well, I won't get graphic, but I'm telling you, something had been cut or smashed. And, and this was something that happened a lot, especially for men who served at court, which it tells us. He, he's very important. He serves in, in the court of this queen. He's a treasurer. And so what would happen was, for these men who served there, they would make them into eunuchs, so there would be no desire for them to sleep with any of the royal women. To be a eunuch was a very difficult thing back in the day. They were socially ostracized. And there were some people who were born eunuchs, and there were some people who were made into them. But regardless of how you got that way, it was a minority group. And there's probably a lot of emotion being wrapped up. And imagine that this was something done to this man got to be some bitterness. There's got to be some woundedness beyond even just the physical. And this is who God has sent Philip to meet. So don't always feel like you're going to go to somebody who looks just like you, thinks just like you, talks just like you. God may have somebody in your path that you never see coming. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch would have been quite a pair. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside that carriage. Don't miss that Philip was faithful to go and walk on the road without any further instructions. And then once he was there, God said, this is the person I have for you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It might freak you out if you do, but sometimes God will put somebody so heavily on your heart and so firmly in your mind, you can't get them out. And you're like, God, like, what do you want me to say to this person? It's only happened to me a handful of times, but it's like, hey, I, I just... God has impressed you upon my heart and I've been praying for you and thinking, you know, God, what do you want me to say to you? And sometimes people say that kind of thing to me and it's, it's very affirming. So be open to God placing someone on your heart. If there's somebody in your life that you know, like, I just can't get them out of my head. I think God maybe has a word for me to give to them from him. Be open to that. Ask God what he wants you to share. So we keep going down into verse 30 and beyond. Philip runs over and he hears these reading from Isaiah. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, this is a silly question because probably most of us, even today, reading Isaiah would go, no, nah, I don't really get what's going on here. Isaiah is, is maybe a little strange. And the man replies in verse 31, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? He urged Philip to come up in the carriage and sit with him. And the passage that he's reading is actually from Isaiah 53. It's a, it's a pretty familiar passage um, that we will be probably seeing on social media, maybe even in church in the coming weeks as we approach Easter, it's the suffering servant passage about Jesus being led as a sheep to the slaughter and he's, he's silent and he doesn't open his mouth, being humiliated and his life being taken. And the eunuch says, I'm down in verse 34 now, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? In verse 35, I love this. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip didn't dismiss where this guy was. He, he didn't ridicule him for his question. Philip just jumped in with him and said, okay, I'm going to start here where you are, and I want to tell you the good news about Jesus. You don't have to get somebody to conform to all the same way that you think and do and all that stuff. You can start with where they are. I'm afraid that a lot of people have this misconception about church, that they have to get all their stuff together. Like, hey, you got you to look this way. You got to think this way. You got you to get all this together before you can come and be at church. And that could not be further from the truth. Guys, go look and see who Jesus engaged with. 
Jesus was the most tough on the religious people of his day, and he was very intentional to reach out to people who maybe we would go, mm, doesn't seem like the normal church crowd. Yeah. Jesus said, I didn't come for the people who think they're well. I came for the people who know they're sick. Start with people where they are. Don't try to make them jump through hoops. Start where they are and tell them about Jesus. And so he explains to him, and as they're riding along, I'm paraphrasing now for sake of time, they come to a body of water, and the eunuch, now understanding about Jesus, says, why can't I just get baptized right here? And Philip says, yeah, you're right. So they jump out, and he baptizes them. Now, the tail end of this passage I just think is crazy, and it's awesome, and I want you to hear it. Verse 39, uh, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again. Are we talking about teleportation here? Like, that's, that's how my mind works. Now, maybe, maybe you're way more spiritual than me, and you're like, Kevin, come on. I'm just saying it seems like we're talking about teleportation because we keep reading the eunuch, never saw him again, went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north near the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. If I'm Philip and I get Holy Spirit transported up the road, I'm probably freaking out. Like I'm probably going to have to change my pants. Like There's probably a lot going on before I can just keep going. But no, Philip's like, cool, great. And he just keeps going and preaching everywhere he goes. Man, what a crazy experience. And you read that story and you're like, man, if God would just show up and do something powerful in my life like that, transport me right alongside somebody to tell about Jesus. Those types of things are the exception. God works through the ordinary and what we view as the mundane all the time. So who does God want you to talk to? Who is he placing on your heart to have a conversation with? If we're really going to believe Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the one who has come to give us truth and life, and that ultimately he gets to define reality, that should change how we have conversations with people. If you have friends or family who are lost, and that sounds so bad, and you're like, well, you're saying something bad. about No, I'm not. I'm just saying there are people who have a relationship with Jesus, and there are people who don't. And I'm not speaking in condemnation or judgment against them. I'm just saying, if we're going to take what Jesus said seriously, then shouldn't we have a conversation with them? Shouldn't we want to talk to them about our faith? I always use this example, but I think it's a good one. What I'm about to say is not true. Everyone look right here at me. Don't freak out, okay? It's not true. Everybody say not true. Not true. But pretend with me, if you will, that there was a bomb in this room. Not true. And you found it, but none of the rest of us knew about it. And there's two minutes on the clock, right? And it's got all the wires and fuses like you always see on TV. And it's tick, 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 tick. And you find it, but nobody else does. I'm hopeful that you would tell the rest of us. If you were like, hey guys, I just, I'll be right back. And you left. That's messed up, right? Like, uh, no matter how much you're frustrated with other people in this room right now, it's messed up. And we all know that. And that's a silly example. The reality is, there is a clock ticking, but none of us can see what's on it. You don't know how much time you've got left in this world. And you think, well, I'm young. Nothing's ever going to get me. You don't know that. And even if you live a long, full, healthy life, 70, 80 years, 
at some point, you're going to leave this world behind. And at some point, the people that you know who don't have a relationship with Jesus are also going to leave this world behind. And if you know Jesus and you keep that to yourself, it seems kind of messed up. It seems like we have the best news, the good news of the gospel. And if we keep that to ourselves, that's messed up. I want to read you a quote from Robert Pierce. You don't know who that is, and it's not overly important. He was big into missions, and he says this, Let my heart be broken with the things that break God's heart. Let my heart be broken with the things that break God's heart. I think a lot of us get very bent out of shape about a lot of things that ultimately don't matter. Like We get so frustrated by something that you won't even remember a week from now, much less five years from now, much less in eternity. And my prayer is that we would understand that God's heart beats for those who are lost. God's heart is broken for people who are lost. So maybe instead of getting so bent out of shape when your team doesn't make the March Madness tournament, or maybe instead of getting so frustrated that that boy or that girl won't talk to you and just wants to put you in the friend zone, like maybe we should be more concerned with eternal things. Paul talks about setting your sights on the realities of heaven that the things of this earth are passing away, may our heart be broken for the things that break God's heart. Friends, if you have loved ones, whether that's blood family or just your friend family, and friend family is a very real thing, I want to affirm that, but you know they don't know Jesus, and you do, maybe God wants you to talk to them. Maybe he's giving you this series to prep, to start to have conversations, and you don't have to have it all figured out but we are called to be faithful and to share his love. Now, if you don't know that love yourself, I just want to invite you to talk to God tonight. Like, the band's clearly about to, to play, and this is a time you can stand and you can sing. We would love for you to do that, but this is also a time to just talk to God. Maybe you say, I don't know anything about this love of Jesus, Kevin. You keep talking about it, but I've never experienced that for myself. Talk to God and just tell him, I want to know you. I want you to come in and change my life then have a follow-up conversation with me or with somebody tonight. We can do that. But to my Christian brother or sister, my prayer for you in this time is that God would place someone on your heart that you can begin to have faith-based conversations. You don't have to dump it all at once, but start building towards that. Let me pray for us. God, would you speak to each of us where we are? For those in this room who are far from you, I pray you would draw them near through your love. For those of us who know you, God, I pray that you would show us how we can be used by you to testify to your goodness and your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.